Our scripture this morning is taken from the second chapter of Isaiah, verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and shall arbitrate for many peoples. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. That is God's word for us this morning. Well, what Isaiah expresses here is fairly easy to comprehend. It's relatively simple. A simple mechanical transformation of swords into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks. Any blacksmith could do it. It's not that complicated. In Isaiah's word, it represents a conversion of tools of destruction to tools that provide food. Isaiah expresses a hope that there will be a deliverer, one who will come and will bring peace to the nations and will motivate us to become peaceful people, people who don't feel like we need to walk around armed to the teeth because we're afraid of what somebody else might do to us Or in the case of our nation, armed because we are fearful that if we were not armed, uh, we would be vulnerable. We'd be subject to attack. It's a fairly simple, straightforward hope that Isaiah expresses. Jesus expressed something similar to us in the fifth chapter of Matthew, verse 9. The Beatitudes is what we have come to to know those expressions of hope and blessing that Jesus has given us. Blessed are the peacemakers, because they will become children of God. They are children of God. Some of you might remember Edwin Starr and his number one hit song from 1970 right during uh, the middle of the Vietnam War, or in the midst of it. War, what is it good for? And in the song, if you remember it, you know that Edwin Starr answered his own question. He said, absolutely nothing. Well, the church has struggled with that question, war, what is it good for, almost since its existence. 1,600 years ago, a church father, a theologian of the church, still one of the greatest theologians of the church, St. Augustine, struggled with that same question. When can a Christian take up arms and fight? When Is it unavoidable? Or what circumstances must exist for a nation to take up arms against another nation? 
So he came up with seven criteria, just war theology or theory. And in so doing, these these seven principles that he offered still are the basis, very much the, the foundational basis for continued discussion. Not just in the church, but in our culture generally. When is it that we go to war? What represents just war? Is there such a thing as just war? Augustine's principles for for just war, he said it must be a last resort. You don't go to war without very sober and somber thinking. It can only be waged after all peaceful options are considered. Second thing he said is it has to be declared by legitimate authority. That there has to be someone who calls the people under their, uh, under their authority, someone who calls them to war. It cannot be waged by individuals or groups that do not constitute a legitimate gov- uh, government, at least in Augustine's mind. Just cause. It must have a just cause. It has to be in response to a wrong suffered. Interestingly enough, Augustine said there has to be probability of success. That you don't throw yourself into, into battle knowing that you're going to lose or that the people that you're ordering into battle are going to be slaughtered. In order for a war to be just, there must be a rational possibility of success. Has to be right intention involved. Primary objective of a just war is to reestablish peace. To resist and confront evil with the hope that even in engaging in the evil of warfare a greater evil will be uh, prevented that the war itself will do less harm than than not stopping the evil Uh, response has to be proportional violence in a just war must be proportional to the casualties suffered In other words, if you happen to have nuclear weapons, the war you are fighting is primarily with small arms, or the enemy you're fighting primarily is engaging you with small arms, perhaps a a little artillery. Uh, It's not appropriate. It's not proportional to drop an atom bomb on them. Civilian casualties. The use of force must distinguish between the military and civilians. Innocent citizens must never be the target of war. Soldiers should always avoid killing civilians. We call that today uh, when civilians happen to be in the line of fire, collateral damage. Augustine said uh, collateral damage, while it may happen, has to be minimized and any war has to be fought with a consideration, a sensitivity to the fact that as much as can, it can be, uh, avoiding taking innocent life should be the aim of the military. Now, those things have uh, been discussed, cussed, and uh, 
and modified <clears throat> over a long uh, period of time, 1,600 some odd years. It's not the only way the church has uh, approached that subject, the subject of war. There's a strong movement element in the church and always has been for pacifism. We follow the Prince of Peace. We follow one who, who said, blessed are we when we become peacemakers. We follow one who went to the cross and stopped his disciples when they tried to resist evil when he was arrested. We have an example of what nonviolence and a nonviolent life looks like in Jesus Christ. So pacifism is a response. Stanley Horowitz, professor of theology and ethics at Duke Divinity School, when asked about his expression of uh, pacifism, his desire to uh, see people seek to be pacifists, why are you a pacifist, Professor Horowitz? Harawas. And Stanley Harawas replied, I'm not a pacifist because I want to be. I'm a pacifist because I believe that's what Jesus asked me to do. And therefore, I must do it. So this, these expressions within the church of what it means to live in a violent world as a Christian and ask ourselves the question, how do we respond? What do we do? In Syria, the Middle East, uh, since uh, I left to go on vacation, the, the number of refugees at that time, this was about two weeks ago now, 270,000 people that have risked their lives to try to get to a safer place. Now, that was two weeks ago when I dis discovered and, and uncovered that number, 270,000, the estimate. Now the estimate is over 300,000 people who have attempted to flee violence. There's no way to know how many people have died trying to flee that violence. Worldwide, there are 20 million people that have been displaced, had to leave their country because of warfare. There are 40 million people who are still in those countries but don't have a home to live in anymore. They've been displaced. They've been pushed out of places like Syria and Iraq and Afghanistan and Pakistan and the Congo and Nigeria and the Sudan. And the list goes on and on. In the midst of all that, in the midst of knowing that's going on, you can't turn to any cable news station or any news broadcast and not within five minutes know that we're, we're in a crisis. In the midst of all that, what, what's a church to do? What, what's a mid-sized church in Lafayette to do? What are Christians to do? What is our church doing? Well, 
because of what you do each and every Sunday, because of what you give, we're able to do something. Several number of years ago, I worked uh, for the co- a company that had its regional headquarters in Charlotte, North Carolina, and I was a division manager of one of the units there. They had a problem. They put me there. And, uh, that particular unit had a problem with the number of errors that they were making. Uh, they were creating and producing documents uh, for people each and every day, insurance documents, policies. And they were doing everything from getting addresses and names wrong to calculating the, the rates wrong and the, the error ratio was way too high. They were doing thousands thousands of these a day. So we had a, a meeting when, uh, shortly after I became their supervisor and I took up, I picked up one of those documents and I said this for many of you has become a, a piece of paper, something that you just need to get off your desk and get out of the way, push it out of here. And you're probably in the midst of that not paying a great deal of attention to whether it's right when it leaves your desk. But this piece of paper represents a person. It is a person. It's a family. These are people pointing to a large stack of, of, these, paper, uh, of these papers. And I said, these, these folks deserve to know you care, that we care. Somebody cares about their name being right. Somebody cares about the address being accurate and especially cares about uh, the finances, what's calculated on these pieces of paper. It's people. It's not paper. Well, what are we doing in the church? Sometimes we pick up a piece of paper like this, a church budget, and all we do is look at the numbers on the page. And particularly what we're interested in is the bottom line. That's how we determine whether the church is doing well or not. Does the income exceed the expenses? And if it does, and we look at this piece of paper and we note that, then we think everything is, is okay. Everything has been done or is being done well. But this piece of paper represents people. It is people. Because in this piece of paper, what we show is how much money that we give to, to missions to help people in refugee camps, to help people who are fleeing, trying to escape the violence of war, to help try to bring some measure of reason and sense to a violent world. Not just a world that in too many places is at war, but in our own country that experiences violence, horrendous violence, every day. That continues to suffer with people being shot, young people being shot, while they're trying to pursue education, trying to pursue a better life. This piece of paper doesn't have anything really to do with numbers. It has everything to do with people. What the CWF did this past weekend in the rummage sale doesn't have anything to do 
with old clothes and, and stuff that we don't want anymore. It has everything to do with, with uh, providing stuff that's very inexpensive to people who don't have very much, number one. And then number two, taking all of that, those proceeds and doubling the blessing by giving it all away. Giving it to Disciple Mission Fund, which gives it to global missionaries that we sponsor, to give it, that gives it to, to various and different projects that, and, and crisis funding that we do all over the world and in this country. This piece of paper, which you support through your giving, through your faith, through measuring what matters, this is people. So when you're asked to give to the church, you're not asked so we can keep the doors open. You're asked so we can respond to people who are hurting. It's this piece of paper that takes us everywhere that Jesus told us to be. That's what a budget is in a church. That's what you're asked to to give to. The ministry of Jesus Christ. To give in faith. To give, asking that God blesses that which is given. So, that the day will come when swords can be beaten into plowshares. The day will come when the question is asked, war, what is it good for, that we can say absolutely nothing. There's a better way Jesus showed us. And we want to pursue that. We want to be faithful to what Jesus Christ calls us to be. We don't want to have to keep relying on on explanations as to, to why we need to go to war. We seek and we hope for the day when that's no longer necessary. By your giving, you say, through the ministry of this church, you say, People matter. You measure what matters. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for opportunities to give of ourselves. Opportunities to help other people in whatever way that opportunity comes. Opportunity to say thank you for all that you've done for us in Christ Jesus, for all that you point us toward in the name of Jesus Christ. God, help us to to be followers, disciples of Christ. God, help us to always, always seek Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.